All right, Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2. Uh, we had been studying now, uh, Daniel, it uh, started last week, you've jumped in at a great time. And we said that, in not so many words, or maybe not even this phrase, but we said that this book is about the devotion or the piety of Daniel and his friends in response to a good and wonderful God. That's one issue or one thought we're thinking about as we move through Daniel. But we're also seeing uh, prophecy, and uh, that takes up about one quarter of the Bible. And so if you uh, want to be a serious student of the Bible, then you and I and we need to go through prophecy. And just to set this up now, there's, this is probably, I think it is, the foundation of all prophecy, this chapter, foundation of all prophecy in the rest of the Bible. This is it. Uh, some pastors have said this is the ABC of prophecy right here in Daniel chapter 2. And the XYZ is the book of Revelation. Get it? So if we're going to understand prophecy, then we're going to start here. Now, this chapter is divided from chapter verses 1 through 29 or so, maybe 30. But anyway, 1 through 29, uh, what it's talking about is Daniel and the amazing things that God is going to do through Daniel and his friends' lives. And then it's going to go on and set and tell us about prophecy. Now, before people get a little wiggly in here about prophecy, do you know that the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes that God put eternity in your heart? And so... Much of what we see in life and in humanity is men and women, boys and girls, struggle to find hope and meaning and comfort and strength and peace and joy, and they have no idea where to look or to find it. When in reality, it's living with the Lord for all eternity, and we came into this world with a major problem. We have a sin nature. I got news for you. If you're sitting here, you and I are sinners saved by grace. You have a sin nature that the Lord has done something about. What has he done? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and pay the penalty for your sins, take your place in the penalty phase, and show, uh, Jesus, who had lived a perfectly righteous life, dies and then rises again, so that not only does he justify you, count you, or for those who surrender their lives to Christ, count you as if you've never sinned, justified, just as if you've never sinned, but also he imputes to you his righteousness, so that when you appear before God by the precious blood of Jesus, you come in forever to be with him and to commune with him and to abide with him. And so 
It's the whole story of the Bible. In fact, do you remember this in Genesis chapter 11? Do you remember this? It shows us men's, or man's, that's a better way of saying it, (laughs) man's attempt to get to God. It's this attempt to get to God. These, the men of the world, the, the people of the earth had one language. They journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. Now, why am I taking you back to this chapter? Because Shinar is Babylon. We're going to talk about Babylon today. And what does this all represent? And they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, let's make bricks. Bake them thoroughly, brick for stone. They had asphalt, and they said, "Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower, who is in the to- or whose top is in the heavens, and let's make a listen, listen. Is it? It's unbelievable. This happens all this time, and it's describing humanity now. They say, let's make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad from over the face of the earth. The Lord came down." Uh, which the sons of men had built, saw the tower, and the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down, confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city, and its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. Did you ever wonder where you get the word Babel? Well, there it is. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. Why did I take you there? Because you see man's attempt to get to God. Build, 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 make name for self, self, self. Now, let me take you somewhere else. The end of the Bible. Go to Revelation chapter 21. Go to verse 2 of chapter 21. Even I can get to Revelation 21. You just go to the end. Well, the last, next to the last chapter. But anyway, here it is. Then I, John, verse 2, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared, now mark it, as a bride adorned for her husband. The holy city, New Jerusalem. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. The whole goal of the Bible. There it is. To get men and women, boys and girls, to live with God forever. And to have his presence secured. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Watch this. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let that sink in. There shall be no more death. Nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. And you could go on and on and read. And here's what I'm showing you the beginning of the Bible, man's quest for God in their own strength and power or his own strength and power. And we do this today. And the resolution by God that you can now and will be living with God forever, where there'll be no more crying, no more pain, no more death. He's going to tabernacle among us. There'll be no need for a son, S-U-N. 
oh man, that's better than the Steelers winning the Super Bowl by a gazillion times. That is the news of all news right there. But now you see why people's hearts are so unsettled. Because they're, to quote a very biblical thing, a country music song, they're looking for love in all the wrong places. And I've looked for love in all the wrong places, and maybe you have too. But this love, this being back together with the Lord, see, I'm not sure there's anything more hopeful then thinking about, wondering about, knowing about, understanding and having faith that you and I are going to be tabernacling, <laughs> dwelling with God himself forever. Wow. And so what I want to take you through today is the 6th century B.C. where we left off and see how God has told us and unfolded for us all the events that are going to happen, watch, to Revelation 21 and beyond. Wow. And that is contained in this second chapter of Daniel. Here it is. Now remember, the first part is the piety. The second part is the prophecy. So we're going to continue our study in what Daniel was like. Now, in the second year, verse 1, of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. And we went through all the different dates that you and I should know. You want me to re review them again? Yes, I will review them. I know you're dying for that. And here they come. In 931 B.C., you should know that the kingdom, the tribes of Israel split. They were all one, 12, you know, 12 in total. They were, And in 931, the kingdom splits. It's a whole story. We'll go through it when we go through the Old Testament again. Happens right after the reign of Solomon, 931 or so BC. If you come up and tell me it was 932, or I'm going to say, okay, I gotcha. It's right around there, okay? 931 BC. Now, here's another date. As the kingdom split, 10 northern tribes go to the north. And in 722 BC, the world power called Assyria takes them out of their areas and takes them off to the Assyrian areas. And that happens in 722 BC. And then what we're dealing with now and I want to make sure you know this, is when Babylon comes on the scene, they've defeated and overcame, or they, or, excuse me, Assyria's been defeated, Babylon and Egypt, right, at the right around the time that Daniel's being written, right before it, they're sort of the powers that are uh, fighting it out, and Babylon comes and defeats Egypt, so Babylon becomes the world power, and Nebuchadnezzar is a Babylonian king, and he is the king of all kings. He is the law. He doesn't make law or have law before him. He is the law. He makes the law. He's autocratic. What he says goes. You go against him, you die. He has the power of all powers. He's a autocratic, centralized ruler. That's him. 
And that's who we encounter here at the beginning. Now, let me tell you how Babylon then comes against the southern two tribes. Everybody tracking with me? Kingdom splits. Northern kingdom gets taken away. We're not talking about the northern kingdom right now. We're talking about the southern kingdom that consists of the tribe of Benjamin and Judah, two. And they're in the southern. And what is in the southern kingdom? This major city, oh, you may have heard of it, Jerusalem, in an area called Judah. And Babylon comes against Judah, but they do it in three waves. Three. Write them down. 605 B.C., Daniel goes out, is, getting, is taken out in 605 B.C., Daniel and his friends. Write this down. This will bless your heart. This blesses my heart so much. It gives you the character of God right here. In 597 B.C., the Babylonians come again. And they take out more and many more Jews. And part of that deportation or exile, listen to this. Daniel's taken away in the first. Ezekiel's taken away in the second. Anybody ever heard of Ezekiel? And there was a third wave in 586 BC. The, the Babylonians came and they threw the knockout punch. And they destroyed the temple and they took people out. And that was the exile. God exiled the Jews in Babylon for 70 years. Now, time out. One more thing. Here's how it blesses my heart. You have Daniel in the political, social courts witnessing and sharing with Nebuchadnezzar. You have Ezekiel, the man of the people, out in the countryside or the places where the Jews live in Babylon, witnessing to the people who are there in Babylon, who are away from home. Is everybody tracking with me? Because I'm going to give you a third prophet. And then the Lord says, you know what? Even for that little remnant that sort of stayed around Jerusalem, I'll send Jeremiah down there. Or Jeremiah was already there. He had been witnessing to them before, the, but he stayed there. Now, aren't you blown away by that? God cared for his people after he had given him all those, all those years. He'd given him all those years. Okay. All those years. He'd given them these warnings here in the Old Testament, given them these warnings, do these certain things or you're going to find yourself in exile. He'd warned them for hundreds of years. And the main two, remember the main two? They didn't keep the seventh year of no planting or reaping the land. Do you remember this? God had told the Israelites when they get into the land of promise, you know, hey, Israelites, every seventh year, well, actually, after the sixth year, every year, I want you to take a pause. Don't plant, reap in the seventh year. Trust me. And in the sixth year, I'll give you a double portion and everything will be fine. Then you'll come back. And for 490 years, there's never any record of them ever doing it. God says, you owe me 70 years. Exile. Babylon. Everybody tracking with me. He also said, 
Don't get involved in idolatry. And we know, just read the prophets. They didn't listen to that at all. So here you have God with every right and his perfect justice to do what he does with his people. And he says, I'm going to use your enemies to punish you. You're going to go into the land of Babylon or be exiled here for 70 years. That's the story, everybody tracking. Jeremiah, it's interesting, actually told them, don't rebel against it. Go into uh, Babylon, build houses, integrate yourself in society, and yet remember me. Remember this? Which tells you a great lesson. You're like, why would he say that? Do you know this? The Bible tells us in the New Testament, for those he chastens, they're his children. I'm paraphrasing, of course. You, you're not getting it. If you're being chastened by the Lord, that means you're a child of God. You should embrace, you should lean into the chastening, not rebel against it. If God's chasing you, chastening you, jump up and down and praise the Lord. Whoever has written a song about God's chastening, write it. It means you're a child of God. Of course, any good dad or any good parent is going to give consequences to children. It doesn't mean he doesn't love them. He does love them. That's the point because he knows what's best for them. And that's the Lord. And that's the story. And now here comes Nebuchadnezzar in the second year of his reign. He had dreams. And the people who have much more time than I do debate. Was it one dream over and over? Was it several dreams? Was it different dreams? I think the writer is just trying to tell you that the, he was having the trouble sleeping and had these dreams and his spirit was so troubled and it was probably the same dream about what he, we're going to learn about today just over and over and it scared him. His spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him and then the king gave the command to call magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, is this irritating? I just have to admit, I've lost my Christianity here over a mic. I can't just keep going. I can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> or throw it. <laughs> so who are the Chaldeans? Who are the Chaldeans? Well, folks, Chaldeans are probably a reference to the wise men that we're going to learn about here in the rest of the chapter. And that's important. Here were these wise men, and Daniel became part of the wise men. He was sort of in the same category, barracks, sort of in the same learning module. Remember, he had to go to Babylonian school for three years, he and his friends. And probably... How in the world did those people, those wise men from the east, know about a star and a Messiah and come down? Weren't you, when you first read the Christmas story and you intelligently could read it as opposed to, you know, just listening to Linus on the peanuts, you would read it and go, how do these people from the east know about this Messiah? Here it is. I'm convinced, but you do your own convincing. You have this man, Daniel, and his godly friends in the areas of the courts, including rubbing elbows with Chaldeans who were wise men. How did they know 600 years later 
to look out for a star and come? Daniel, the power of one life submitted to him. Isn't that amazing? So here you have him here, the Chaldeans, or at least the Chaldeans are around to tell the king his dreams. Now, if you read extra biblical writings, they had whole modules. They had a whole uh, customs, uh, ways to translate dreams. They were very into dreams. So this is something that they're used to hearing from important people. Come, tell me my dream. So there's one little curveball or slider here, you know, boom. And we're going to find out about that in a minute. So they came and stood before the king. Now that's a frightening experience if you're before Nebuchadnezzar, because he could whack your head off at any time. The king said this, and the king uh, said to them, I've had a dream and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. So now he said, dream dreams. And he's telling you there's one dream. It was probably the same dream over and over, but again, be a Berean. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. Fascinating. The Old Testament's written in Hebrew, but from this point on to verse 4, through the end of chapter 7, the transcripts are in Aramaic. Now, look, just look with me. Daniel has more chapters than seven, which means it reverts back to Hebrew. Why did they do this? Well, do you know that Jesus said this? in his sermons in Luke, speaking of the end times. He refers to and talks about this thing called the time of the Gentiles. The time of the Gentiles. That time when Gentiles are going to rule over, have power over, uh, uh, you, you know, have control of the areas of Zion and Jerusalem. And uh, uh, these uh, Gentile nations are going to be, you know, doing those sorts of things. And this is sort of the language at the time of Babylon or the Gentiles. I don't know if that answers your question, because I don't know it fully, and no, uh, neither does anybody else. But from this point on to end of chapter 7, as we're speaking of and learning of the time of the Gentiles, it's in Aramaic. Fascinating. So he says that, he spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we'll give, you the in, or give the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans. Now he's not talking to all of Babylon. That's what I want you to know. Babylonians are called Chaldeans. Who is he speaking of there? Probably he used that phrase for wise men. Remember, they had all kinds of people that he called in. They called in magicians people who dabbled in the dark arts, the astrologers who looked at things in the heavens and used that to tell, you know, the future type of stuff, sorcerers who messed around with the dead, and then these Chaldeans. He's not talking about all of Babylon. These are wise men in this case. Anyway, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. If you don't make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you're going to be cut in pieces and your house is going to be made in ash heap. And however, if you, or however, if you tell the dream in its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. Now you get what's going on here, right? He's saying, I don't want just the interpretation. Anybody could make that up. I want you to tell me what I keep dreaming, and then I'll know. And that's hard to do. 
Now, they answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will give its interpretation. They're no dummies. Just tell us what it is, and then maybe we could make something up. Well, the king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time, stall, because you see that my decision is firm. If you don't make known the dream to me, there's only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream and I'll know that you can give me its interpretations. Well, the wise men or the Chaldeans answered the king and said, well, there's not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldeans. And guess what? They were right. Only God could answer this. And that's the point of that verse. And I want you to see something as we go along. Daniel leans into that. And you're like, well, okay, I know the story. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, watch Christian TV sometimes. I get the feeling sometimes people are not giving God the glory and fame. They're actually pointing the glory and fame toward themselves. And Daniel here doesn't do any of that. Watch this. It's a difficult thing that the king requests, verse 11, and there's no other who can tell it to the king except the gods. True, but one God <laughs> whose dwelling is not with flesh. True. And that's the whole story of the Bible. He doesn't dwell with us yet, but he is going to dwell with us. We read it today. Everybody on track? You understand, see how cool the Bible is? What God is doing here? For this reason, verse 12, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Uh-oh. So Chaldeans were talking to them. He calls them wise men here to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men. Uh-oh. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Why? Because they were a subset of the wise men. You getting it? I'm just keep telling you this because I'm blown away by the fact that these people from the East, every Christmas you read about, knew somehow about all the things that are where the Messiah would be born, etc. What a blessing. God is sovereign. So, we see that. Then in verse 14, with counsel and wisdom, notice that, counsel and wisdom, Daniel answers this guy named Arioch, who's the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel because he wants to know and he's been bothered and he is not a happy camper and he can't sleep and we're all miserable. And if we don't get this thing solved, we're all going to be dead. That's the implication. So we can't keep stalling. It's got to happen fast. So Daniel went and asked the king to give him time. Now, you read that and you just want to go on to the next verse. But that is astounding. <laughs> Even if Daniel is in that group or subset of wise people, to appear before the king... And to ask this request after the king has already said, no more time, is pretty amazing. Now watch. I'm going to take a little time out, and I'm going to go down a rabbit trail. 
And then I'm going to come back and we're going to resume again, but it's important. We look at Daniel and we go, wow, that's so amazing, pie in the sky. And here, Daniel goes before important people with a request that he's convinced in his heart the Lord is asking him to ask. And I want you and I and we to know that the same spirit that would come upon Daniel or the same spirit that lived in Paul lives in those who surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. And what is the environment in which God can work with a man or woman to do amazing things that they don't even know are amazing? that we're reading about now. What's the environment? Well, the environment is just right here all throughout chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the book of Daniel. Remember, we started going through them last week. We said, wow, he was raised by godly parents. How do we know? They gave them godly names. So we think he was raised by godly parents. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's older, he won't depart from them. Of course, the Bible does tell us we have free will. So the kid can choose his own way. But the environment, the place in which we should incubate these ways in which people keep their faith, even when they go into worldly places, is to learn and grow in an environment where God is loved and obeyed. Everybody with me? And we saw all of that, and we saw how he set himself apart and all that. But I'm going to, I want to show you something here as we go forward. We're going to talk about the prophecy, but I want you to see that God wants to do things through your life that are the same things that he wanted Daniel to do or Paul to do or any of the other disciples who are surrendered to him. You, you with me? Okay, that's the rabbit trail, but it's not really a rabbit trail. Come back to the story. So... Daniel goes, hey, king, uh, I need you to please give me some time. What a bold thing to do, because he knew it was the right thing to do, that he might tell the king the interpretation. Apparently, Daniel had been praying about this, and he was moved to do it. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decisions known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. That just blesses my heart. You understand one of the environments in which God can do amazing things through our lives here today? You don't always have to get all the credit. You don't have to tell people, you know, you went down to the homeless and put it all over Facebook and say it's such an amazing thing that I'm doing. And wow, I can't believe how great I am. And Instagram and Twitter and just, wow, I mean, it's amazing how good I am. Here, oh, and by the way, I thought of all of this, and it's my baby, and it's my ministry, and perfect. Thank you, God, for choosing me, because I'm awesome. That's not the environment in which God does amazing things through a man or a woman or a boy and girl. Look at the environment. The environment is, God, you set me up in this place. I'm going to give you all the glory, and all of these people help too. It's not about the pastor or the pastor's wife, although she's pretty awesome. It's about all of us rowing together in one way to have as many people come into the family of God until he comes back, being equipped for the ministry 
that the Lord is calling you for so you cannot go out and do it. Not so somebody up here can be on TV and do all. No, 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 no. Daniel shows it to you. He goes back. I think that blesses my heart in a big way, or I know it blesses my heart in a big way. He goes back to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and he wants to have them involved, and they might seek the mercies from God. So what's another environment for God doing amazing things through your life? Seeking the mercies of God. That's just another way of saying he communed with God. He was praying, and they were praying and they were not moving out or doing anything until they heard from God. And in this case, they better hear from God. Because not only do they have to tell an interpretation, they got to actually know the dream itself. And before they march in there to the king, they better be sure. So guess what they do? They don't run to this person or that person. They don't get on the phone. They don't email. They don't go to social media. They get on their knees and seek mercy from God. God, I'm in this fix. Didn't we sing about the Lord fighting our battles? Aren't you excited? Aren't you excited that you don't have to fight your battle? That the Lord will do it. He'll give you wisdom and strength and resource and joy and love and peace or whatever you need. To do things for him. So here they are, or here he is, and he goes with his friends and they have a big prayer meeting. Seeking the mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secrets so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men. They were no dummies. They only knew one place to go, the Lord himself. So ask yourself this now, are we people of prayer? Or are we just playing around? Lord, help me. Bless my job. Make sure I get the bonus. If I don't get the Christmas bonus, I'm coming back and we're going to talk, God. That's how we pray. No, we're seeking mercies from God. Or they're seeking mercies from God. Look at this, verse 19. Then, watch this. In that environment, the environment of how he was raised, what he did, how he set himself apart, how he didn't steal glory from God, how he included others. It wasn't all about him. It was about the Lord. The Lord gives him the secret. And if you look in Psalm 25, 14, the Bible says he gives the secrets to those who fear him or respect him or are in awe of him. That doesn't just mean Daniel, folks. <laughs> And that means any one of us sitting out here today. Wow. Oh, I think that's amazing. But anyway, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. He saw it in a vision. It probably wasn't a dream. He probably wasn't, you know, whatever. Anyway, you, you debate that. It was a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. I got to tell you something right here. There's something real subtle here. <laughs> and here's the subtlety. If I got the secret, I'd probably run out of, and write a book. The secret to living godly, the secret to prophecy, the seven keys to happiness, your best life now, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't do it yet. You know what he does? He pauses and he gives God praise. Now you, 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 you go, wait a minute. Yeah, I know you're the pastor. You got to say it. You ever been one that God got you out of a bind and you just got on with your life? You're just so relieved and happy and wonderful, and you're walking and talking to your Lord, or, honey, let's go out for dinner tonight. I mean, I don't have to deal with that or this or the, the Lord. He didn't do any of that. He goes, 
Let's praise the Lord. Let's not forget. Didn't Jesus talk about this with certain lepers? There's something about Thanksgiving. Don't forget. That's the environment in which amazing things happen for God. Now, here's another rabbit trail. What's amazing? Well, amazing might be 100,000 people in a stadium and you giving the gospel. Maybe. But do you know what else is amazing? You going over to your friend's house who's in the dust and you serving and loving and helping and giving them and being and showing up and being consistent. And somebody may never put you on a TV show and to me, and to the, well, not to me, to the Lord, look, look at this, that's amazing. You know what else is amazing? When the Lord convicts you and says, you need to ask for forgiveness for that stupid thing you said or dumb uh, thing you did or that person you hurt. And you say, eh, I don't think so. <laughs> the Lord says, no, no, I, you don't get this. I want you to go ask for forgiveness. You, you See, to me, that's real miracle. The Lord says that's a real miracle. You, you know what else? The person that bugs you in your human nature sits beside you in the cubicle and eats an apple and is chewing or chews gum in a bad way. And it just irritates you to no end. And you just don't want to go to work or anything like that. And, be, and you just, she, she or he, and then the Lord says, I want you to love that person. Oh, how about this one? The Lord says, uh, you know the enemy that you have? I want you to love them too. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. There's something bigger and higher at stake. See, those are amazing things. It doesn't have to be this, but this is the environment in which God reveals things to you and does things through you. So, blessed be the name of God forever and ever. For wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise. Now, if you were with us in the Ecclesiastes study, excuse me, you know that there's a difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. You understand that? The wisdom of the world is sensual, demonic, the wisdom of God, gentle, peaceful. He gives you wisdom, and it, it, it's not like you're out for yourself anymore. It's wisdom that comes to you that you, know, you didn't even know could come to you. <clears throat> and it helps you navigate through difficult people and places and things. You understand? So here he says, thank you, Lord, for the wisdom that you give. Not wisdom of the world, that wisdom that comes to us, knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He's going to reveal deep and secret things to you about you. You get what I'm saying here? But it's all good because he loves you and he wants to grow you and he's going to reveal deep and secret things about other people, but so that you'll have understanding and he knows what is in the darkness. Don't you, don't you, aren't you so happy about that one? Not only the spiritual darkness, but you know, all of those things that we think of when we 
Think of no lights on. You think of, ooh. <laughs> Try coming up here at night one time in the middle of, uh, you know, 11 o'clock. It's like everything's moving. You're like, what? Who's here? <laughs> I forgot my Bible down at the church. Well, it's 11 o'clock. I'll go tomorrow, you know. <laughs> But anyway, and he reveals that. And I look what, what Daniel does. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might, and I have, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. It seems to me, doesn't it seem to you, that Daniel's pretty certain now. The Lord revealed it to him in prayer, and he didn't run out and do it. I would have run to the king and said, I know! He took a time out. He praised the Lord. That's elementary, I know, but I don't know about you. I've skipped that in my life. Therefore, verse 24, Daniel goes to Arioch, whom the king had appointed, to destroy the wise men. He went and said thus to them, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Wow. He is positive. Why is he so positive? Let me just... Let me just run through this again. I'll ruffle some feathers here. But I want you to think. I want you to be a thinker. I want you to think biblically. Faith is not building up your faith and having faith in faith. I just want to let that sit there for a minute. Faith is only as good as the object behind the faith it's not about you. It's about God who you have faith in. You see? That's real important in this day and age. If you only have faith, true, but faith in what? Not faith in your faith. That's an idol. Faith in God, and he knew, and he understood, and the Lord revealed it to him. It's amazing. Hey, Arioch, we're ready to go. So Arioch quickly, quickly, yes, he didn't want to get slain himself, brings Daniel before the king and says, I found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. And the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, not Belshazzar. He comes later. Remember, there's a T in the name of Daniel in the um, uh, Chaldean language or the Chaldean way of naming him. Anyway, are you able to na make known to me the dream which I have seen in its interpretation? And Daniel said in the presence of the king, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, they can't declare to the king. Now watch, here's the environment in which God does amazing things through a person's life, your life, my life. But there is, I would have been tempted to say, wow, man. Hey, hey, King Nebi, I'm so in tune with God that whenever you need something about a dream or anything, call me. In fact, Nebi, <clears throat> you're pretty rich. The next time you have one of these, I'm only going to charge you eh, five to 10,000. And we're laughing, but it happens. He doesn't do any of that. He says this, there's a God in heaven who reveals secrets. He gives all the glory to the Lord. There's a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he's made known to King Nebi, King Nebuchadnezzar, what will be market in the latter days. Some of us get scared when we start to talk about this. 
Why would we ever get scared about end times things? Why? Listen, I read an article a couple weeks ago about on CNN. CNN, of course. CNN. But by the way, go to the other channel and you're going to hear just as much fear-mongering, but that's come up and talk to me about it afterwards. And I know some of you didn't like that. <clears throat> Here you get an article on CNN about how people are traumatized by end times theology. And I'm thinking, thinking to myself, <clears throat> let's think about what the Bible says. Here he says, I'm going to make, or this dream is about the latter days, the end times. And you have people now who say they're traumatized. If you were the enemy of the people of God, what would you want to do? You would want to seep in and not get them to listen to what God says. I don't think some of you heard that. So while I understand that there are hard things coming, listen, listen the Bible tells us there's, there's eternity in our hearts, placed there, and God is the only one who can fulfill it, Revelation 21. And if you read Revelation 21, there's this image between God and the church of God who's called the bride. Everybody tracking with me? Everybody with me? Because I want you to think now. And then you go to Song of Solomon, which is about a king and his bride, but it's also about the king and his bride, us. And in Revelation, excuse me, in Song of Song, Chapter 3, verse 11, do you know that it says that the groom, King Solomon, the king, had gladness in his heart that he was going to marry that bride? And it's speaking, of course, the near fulfillment, King Solomon getting married, but guess what God has for you? Gladness in his heart that he is going to be reunited or married to his bride. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. This is the story now, these end times things, about how God gets you uh, united with his bride. Why in the world would we be upset about that? It's nothing to be upset about. It's a beautiful thing. It's the story of God and the church. And so your dream and the vision right here, uh, as we continue in Daniel, and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. Now I want to just pause right here. Watch. <laughs> I know he's a great guy and God's doing miracles through his life. But his knees must have been knocking. <laughs> Can you imagine the first sentence coming out of his mouth? Not knowing whether <laughs> the sword is going to go and just cut off his head. In other words, he was in love with, knew, and knew that his God knew him and was sure that God had revealed it to him. I mean, he was positive. Oop, we have a little accident. <laughs> All right. She must have bumped her eye, so we're sorry about that. <clears throat> so he was sure. 
And he goes this, as for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed. Wow, okay. About what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king. I'm no great shakes. I'm just a normal guy. The Lord's just helping me out in a certain situation. That's what Daniel's saying. Can you believe that? I can't believe that. I mean, I do believe it, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. Now, I don't want you to escape that verse. God was even pursuing Nebuchadnezzar. Wow. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image, this great image whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold. Go like this with me. One. Fine gold, its chest and arms of silver. Two. Its belly and thighs of bronze. Three. Its legs of iron, its feet. First of all, its legs of iron. Four. And then its feet, partly of iron and partly of clay. Five. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands. So there's two things here, and I want you to see this. There's this massive image, this terrible image, this awesome image, this worrisome to King Nebuchadnezzar image, and there's also a stone that was cut out without hands. The implication there is it was done divinely. That's important which struck the image where? Where did it strike it? On its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. It didn't hit him at the head. It hit him at the feet, the toes. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away so that no trace was found. And the stone that struck the image, It didn't break apart. It became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Fascinating. And this is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. He must have been going, okay, did I get it right? I mean, any inclination here, king? Okay, you, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, glory. And wherever the children of men dwell or the beasts of the field and the birds of heaven... He has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian kingdom is the head of all. But after you shall rise another kingdom, inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth, and the fourth kingdom shall uh, be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters. Everything, and like iron that crushes, the kingdom will break in peace and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong, partly fragile." As you saw, iron mixed with ceramic clay, they'll mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron doesn't mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, what kings? These kings that are part of the iron and the clay. There are indications here and other places 
that there are ten toes. Aren't there ten toes on a, on a person's feet? Don't give me that thing about the big toe, or is that the thumb? But anyway, and in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. So there's going to be a kingdom of God that is going to be set up after those toes and the holes are attacked or hit, and the rest of the thing is destroyed. And the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad about that? You would think, since that's where God does justice and righteousness. Anyway, the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It'll break in pieces. Consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king that will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. In other words, he says right here, amen, so be it. So you see this, right? The head of gold. And he tells us there that this is Babylon. Doesn't he tell you that? Does he tell you that? Yes, he tells you that, that this is Babylon. And this head, which, you know, sort of influences the rest of the body, wouldn't you say your head influences the rest of your body? Would you say that? I would say that, right? You want to go back and put, you know, a prayer card in the love box back there, the box. Your mind says to everything in here, walk, write, go put it in, and then your body follows. So you'd say the head does. And so, see, that's why I read from you from Genesis 11. <laughs> Although Babylon was defeated, it was defeated. There's this certain sense in which Babylon continues on to this day because it represents the world system of thinking, how to get to God by man's efforts, this unsettledness in our hearts that we could never solve. And the Bible tells us, doesn't, us, doesn't it, and you could get our study on Revelation, but out in Revelation 17 and 18, that in the last days, God's going to deal with world religion and the world economic system, and the names of those systems are called Babylon. How about that? Well, you know this. Babylon was defeated. Babylon was defeated, and it was defeated by the Medo-Persian Empire. And that happened right around 538 or so B.C. 538 or so B.C. And they conquered Babylon, and there's some references now to these other kingdoms that are not specifically mentioned in Daniel 2, Later in Daniel, and in chapter 8 specifically, we start to see that the silver, the chest and the arms, were the Medo-Persians. And don't you know the stories of that? Well, we'll see it later in Daniel. You know Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian, and they overtook Babylon. And then we know from history that the Grecians came against the Medes and the Persians. And you've heard, have you? of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great. And that is a reference to the belly and the thighs. And the iron, the iron, referencing what came next after the Grecian Empire. What came after the Grecian Empire? And that was Rome, who did what? They ruled with an iron fist. Everything was cool with the Romans 
unless you set upset the apple cart and then kabang they would come in and so we see that and then we have this reference here to these toes feet and toes of iron and clay some things that are strong and some things that aren't strong and you can look and think about this people are coming at this in different ways but here's what I want to do I want to match the feet and the toes with the stone everybody tracking with me the feet and the toes have something to do with this stone Jesus himself what's he called the chief cornerstone and the stun stone in this dream comes and smashes the image doesn't it and it comes at what it comes at the feet and the toes now listen there are different ways of thinking of this. All people in Christendom believe this, that Christ is this stone. Nobody disagrees with that. And the other th part that everybody believes in Christendom, or most people believe in Christendom, is that the mountain fills the earth, his kingdom, God's kingdom. Here's where the disagreement comes. The disagreement is over the timing and nature of this. Some people believe that this stone happened at the first coming of Jesus. The Roman Empire was destroyed and there was a spiritual kingdom that is still filling the world today. So all of this was fulfilled at Jesus' first coming. That's what some people, brothers and sisters, say. Others believe, no, that there's a time gap in between, just stick with me for a minute, in between those, uh, the iron and then the toes and the feet. And I'm going to hopefully make a point for you here in a minute. And so I want you to know that. And this is really important to how you view scripture or how you view prophecy. Now let me tell you just a couple reasons why I think and believe and we think here that what they're talking about, the toes and the feet and the iron and the clay didn't happen at Jesus' first coming, but is going to happen at Jesus' second coming. Everybody tracking with me. I just want you to understand the issues. Here's why. One, <clears throat> Jesus didn't do any destroying of any Roman Empire. Do you remember Jesus doing any destroying of a Roman Empire? No, I don't think so. And the Bible tells us that this stone becomes a mountain suddenly, very suddenly and very fast, and it doesn't happen gradually. You guys tracking with what I'm saying? That would tend to lead us to believe that at the second coming of Christ is when that stone smashes the toes and the feet and thus the rest of the statue. By the way, at Christ's first advent, the Roman Empire wasn't divided and didn't have several feet and several toes or ten kings or ten kings ruling. And here's the most important one and fascinating one that I think. I'm going to, you guys are looking at me like perplexed. Here's it. Christ's kingdom is going to be similar or the same as the ones that preceded it. What do I mean? It means that there's going to be a literal, visible, and earthly kingdom. 
not a spiritual kingdom. And here's another reason that I believe that the stone smashes those ten toes at Jesus' second, uh, second kingdom. Isn't this statute still running things today on this earth? The worldliness, the kingdom of this world, they haven't been judged and destroyed yet. Would you agree? That's what I would think. And so that's all important on how you view Scripture. Other brothers and sisters view it differently. Understand, you may be one of them. We love you. But what you're seeing here is a smashing stone that destroys the statue. It's cut without hands, remember? It's a divine origin. It's assault is at the feet. So what are the ten toes? Many people believe, and I think that's right, it's this sort of ten nation or something, something like it, confederation that rises in the last days and has power. Now you go, well, come on, what, you know, you're just talking nonsense. Well, something miraculous happened in 1948. You know what that is? Yeah, Israel came to life or came back to life, however you want to say it. They came back to life. Israel, Israel came to life. And what happened out of Israel's rebirth? Well, many things came to happen. Uh, 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 you know, people, uh, Jews started going back into the land. But then some interesting things at the same time started happening in Europe. As this Roman influence, listen, as this Roman influence sort of set up these different countries all around Europe, as this Roman influence uh, uh, had these certain countries all around Europe that were broken into smaller countries, it didn't just remain Rome anymore. Um, some that were, you know, strong and stable and some were not so much. You know this, that there are these different pacts and councils that started coming out of Europe back in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. Now just hold on with me for a minute because we have a point And I'm not saying those councils are necessarily it, the thing you're looking for now, but certainly the environment and the embryos of the things that are talking, talked about in Daniel and later in the book of Revelation, that there might be, there could be, there is this ten-nation confederation from which a great statement statesman comes out of sort of turns his back on the confederation and makes this peace plan in the middle of a tribulation period that solves the Middle East peace crisis. I'm saying that these uh, foundations have been laid in Europe and around the world for these things to happen, just like the Bible says. There's this thing called the European Union. Did you know this? I'm not sure I knew this until this week, just being frank with you. The European Union has their own parliament. Did you know that? Of course you know the European Union has its own currency. 
But this is the one I didn't know, and I had no idea, and it's not that big of a deal, but it sort of is a big, big deal. The European Union has its own flag. Well, that's weird. What is it? Where did it come from? Why is it? Here's what I'm trying to say is. This dream Daniel knew was given to him by God. It seems to set forth, if you interpret it in this way, for the reasons we said, watch this. It seems to interpret all the events or the major events or the foundational events of things that are going to happen from the 6th century BC all the way until Jesus comes the second time. You get it? And that's why we need to know it. <laughs> you say, well, come on, quit talking about it. I don't think so. Here's why. Jesus came to reconcile us back to the Father. And many people just want you to leave it at that. They don't want you to know, as Paul Harvey said, the rest of the story. But the rest of the story says things like this. All things are going to be made new. Well, watch, watch. And there's going to be a literal visible, earthly kingdom where everything's going to be put right. God, by his son, is going to judge, and you're going to be happy and thankful. And not only are you going to be happy and thankful, the Bible tells us that for those who have gone on to be with the Lord or have been raptured before the seven-year period of tribulation, at the end of that seven-year period, look at this, we're going to come back with him, Revelation 19. Watch this. And we're going to participate in his kingdom. We're going to rule and reign. And you're going to do so for a literal, Revelation, 1,000-year period. And some people are worried about that. And I say, listen, the scriptures want you to know that there's not going to be any tears. You're going to be with the Lord. You know these things we sing? Sometimes I get to singing them and I'm like, oh, Lord, it's, I don't say this, but I mean, is it true, Lord? Is it true? All my troubles, all our troubles past only to be with you where the bible tells us he is his holiness is beauty for those who love him it's not something to be feared it's something to be loved and to be looking out for and the bible tells us too that the way in which we view this is a purifying doctrine on the way we live now why I often wondered about that, and I say it almost every week in all these studies, but it makes sense to me, and I think it makes sense to you. It's because the Bible says Jesus given all authority to judge. And oftentimes when we hear that, we're like, oh no. 
But I think what we should be saying when we hear that is, oh, yes. Praise the Lord that somebody can make sense of this evilness. <laughs> the things that have been done are going to be set right. The people who Lord's going to deal with, oh, yeah, you're going to come before the Lord and the Bema Seat Judgment. He's going to ask you, what did you do with the things that I entrusted to you? Yes, of course, but not in any bad way, like a good father would with a good son and a good daughter. I can't wait. And I think if we think it through, neither can you. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we come here this morning thankful and grateful, humbled by, humbled by your love and mercy and grace. Lord, we too want to be people who are used by you. So help us to learn the lessons of Daniel, the environment in which you work and move and do things. And also, Lord, included with that, help us to give us a better and bigger understanding of the things that are going to transpire in the latter days. Lord, thank you for telling us what is going to happen in the time of the Gentiles or laying it out for us. Thank you for this era of mercy and grace, but also, Lord, we thank you that you're coming again. One, for your church, but then coming with your church and establishing your kingdom. What a day that will be. In Jesus' name, amen.